Hi everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pig. And we are in for an incredible treat today. Uh, we are coming to you from incredible Napa Valley, St. Helena, and the Long Meadow Ranch. Uh, big thank you to the President and CEO, Ted Hall, for hosting this event today and for allowing us into this spectacular uh, office. I wish you could all see what we're looking at, but it is indeed a, a special place. Um, this is really a, a dream come true for our Bone to Pick series, two of the greatest trombone players of all time together, uh, both very long associations with the San Francisco Symphony. We're getting ready to perform one of our Chairman of the Bone concerts here in a, in a couple of hours. Couldn't resist taking the opportunity to sit down with these incredible players and talk about their extraordinary lives and careers. Uh, the first gentleman, uh, known to everybody, uh, he's been a, a star in the trombone world since I was a, in high school, and early on was in the San Francisco Symphony. He's subsequently spent 34 years there as the principal trombonist, the great Mark Lawrence. Mark, thank you so much for uh, coming today and being a part of this. Pleasure, pleasure. And uh, an old, old friend of mine, we were classmates at Eastman. Uh, he is also starting his 25th year in the San Francisco Symphony, uh, the great trombonist Paul Wilkimer. Paul, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. This is awesome. Um, rather than me give a haphazard introduction to your guys' uh, incredible lives, can you give us, uh, just give us a, a, a taste of all the things that you have done, Mark? I know it's, uh, it's a long list, but just some, <laughs> some memories and, uh, and things that uh, you're, you're uh, most proud of. Uh, well, I've... I'll just start off by saying I've been really uh, blessed in my professional life. Mm -hmm. I've uh, had some really great experiences uh, that I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, obviously, I was in the symphony for 34 years. Um, and uh, through all that time, I've been lucky to have really, really great colleagues like Paul mm -hmm. that have made my life a lot easier. Uh, and uh, um, throughout the years in the symphony, I've done other things. Uh, uh, I've played in a brass group called Summit Brass for many years, which uh, was a really wonderful brass group that made quite a few recordings and did quite a few fun tours, which would be a whole other interview. <laughs> and, uh, Off camera. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I played in a brass quintet called the Empire Brass, which uh, in its day was uh, arguably one of the finest brass quintets yeah, concert cer Certainly say so, yeah, for yeah. sure. And, uh, um, you know, th throughout this whole time, I've taught at various places like Boston University and Northwestern University and San Francisco Conservatory and now uh, the Coleman School in Los Angeles as well. Um, so uh, along the way, I've met many, many fantastic people and musicians that um, have just been wonderful to work with. Wouldn't trade it for anything. That's awesome. I like how last night you were talking about how he's retired from being the principal trom trombone in the San Francisco Symphony, but yet you're probably busier than ever playing with the New York Philharmonic and Cleveland Orchestra in Chicago and all over the place. So uh, uh, a testament to uh, this man's great uh, talents and, uh, and abilities. Paul, you and I go so far back uh, to our <laughs> early days uh, at Eastman, but um, take us a little bit through your, your journey to, to getting to the San Francisco Symphony. Sure. Um... Well, after Eastman, I uh, went to New England Conservatory and got my master's and was fortunate to land a gig uh, literally two days later. Uh, so I went into the Air Force Band after that, the Washington, D.C. Air Force Band. I uh, played principal trombone there for four years. That was a good experience, but, uh, you know, I didn't want to, I'm more attracted to orchestral music. And so I really, really wanted to, you know, play in an orchestra. So after the Air Force Band, I uh, played two years in the Alabama Symphony as second trombone and then two years as principal trombone. And in 1993, I came to the San Francisco Symphony 
as second trombone. I've been here ever since and had a wonderful ride. Um, Mark was my principal trombonist, or I was his second trombonist <laughs> for 15 years. And then I got to play principal for a year when he left. That was uh, really exciting, very challenging. Uh, that was a big part of uh, my career. And then uh, Tim Higgins came to be the principal trombonist after that, and uh, that's been wonderful as well. And John Anglekiss has been here for the whole time for both of us, and uh, he's amazing. So I'm lucky to play in a great section. Yeah, yeah well, they're lucky to have you. And, uh, and it's really, historically, I mean, you guys have created it, but the section has always been at the highest level of uh, any of the orchestras. And I haven't had the pleasure of hearing uh, Tim, but I heard he's a remarkable player as well, yeah. carrying on the tradition that Mark established. So uh, kudos to you guys. You know, we were talking about this this morning at breakfast, and it's something, you know, as, as a lot of our viewers are, are young folks that are trying to get into this business. And, and as we all know, it, it, it gets it seems to be more difficult by the day. Um, and one of the big things is, is taking auditions. And I was just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts. You know, it can be random thoughts or, or your guided approach, whatever it might be. But just even from a kind of an advisory standpoint, how do you guys approach playing an audition? And then also, what do you, I'm sure you've both been on the committees when you had listened to not just trombone, but, but what are, and it, and it may be somewhat obvious, but what are the things that you really look for in players and, and can hear right away if, if somebody possesses what's going to enable them to either get the job or get close to getting a job? Sure. Mark, you want to go first on that? Uh, boy, that's a, that's kind of a tough question. I, uh, as we were talking about at breakfast, it's, um, it's a very unnatural uh, circumstance. What what auditioners have to go through? They they come to a strange city. They stra uh, stay in a strange hotel. They they eat meals that you know they don't know whether they're going to agree with them or not. They may or may not get good night's sleep before the audition. There may be somebody in the room next to them that's really loud. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of factors that in that affect how they play. And you have maybe five to seven minutes in the first round to demonstrate to the committee uh, what you have to offer. So uh, it's, you know, right off the bat, that's challenging. And, mm -hmm. and uh, good players can have bad days. It happens all the time. Uh, but I, I think that, um, that the preparation for these auditions uh, the mental preparation is very, very important because you, you go into an environment that's mentally very stressful. And uh, if you do your practice, most of the time you can be ready physically, but the mental preparation, you know, preparing yourself for that circumstance and visualizing yourself in that circumstance is, is really, really a big part of it. And I don't think probably a lot of students uh, think of that enough. I mean, that's just one, one aspect of yeah, answering yeah. your question. No, it's a good but, answer, but, yeah. But um, the other thing is, um, I think it's really important for any, any young musician to be really objective and realistic about how you're sounding, you know, by recording yourself and playing for other people. Uh, what happens as players is uh, we get used to the way we sound, and it sounds normal. Mm -hmm. Whatever is coming out of our horn sounds normal after a while, whether it's right or not. So it's important to have that outside objectivity of either a recorder or somebody else listening uh, to, so that what you think up here is coming out of your bell is actually coming out of your bell. Well, that's such a good point. Yeah, you get so used to the way you sound. And yeah, yeah. 
whether it's a good day or not, you it's in your head, you know. And, yeah, so. absolutely. And you, you know, you brought up earlier this morning. We talked about the Don Green's books, performance success, audition success, and it seems like I read those just as as I thought they were really helpful. Even though my end of the music business, we don't tend to audition. But um, did you do you recommend those to your students as well? Uh, as far as absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, he uh, he uh, started out as a as a uh, Olympic diver and coaching Olympic divers and, and athletes and the transition from working with athletes to musicians was a very natural and easy transition for him and he's really enjoyed working with musicians and he does a fabulous job of what I was talking about the mental uh, stealing yourself mentally and preparing yourself mentally for that few minutes that you have mm -hmm. of of sheer terror <laughs> you know, to, to be able to sheer terror yeah, yourself yeah. mentally. Cause it's like uh, being the Olympics, you know, having an event that lasts a few seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, you have, you have to be prepared for that. So when that, when that happens, you can perform at your absolute peak. So yeah. he's, he's done wonderful work in, yeah. in preparing you know, musicians for that. Good, good words of advice. Paul yourself, I mean, you've had tremendous success in just one year audition. So I'm sure you're not auditioning all the time now, but, but, well, your, your, your thoughts on the, the audition process? Yeah, I have more audition experience than many people. <laughs> Put it that way. Uh, I was definitely not one of those people who won every audition they took. Um, okay. I, it took me a while to figure out the process, to raise my level to where it needed to be. And it's finally got, when you got rid of that crew cut. That exactly. That helped a lot. Yeah, sure. Crew <laughs> cut's not <laughs> Oh, thank God for those screens. Exactly. Yeah, I think I frightened Mark the first time I made it in the finals. I was still in the Air Force at that point. Well, saluting. You know, exactly. That was, that was a little too much. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I would recommend to people that they start taking auditions um, when they're ready, but maybe not they absolutely are sure they're going to win whatever job it is. Learn the audition process like Mark's talking about as well while you're raising your level to that. So by the time you're fantastic musician and trombonist, now you've never auditioned and you, you sort of don't know how that game is played. Mm -hmm. You want that all to come together at the same time. Mm -hmm. So with, with you know a few notable exceptions, most people don't win these big jobs when they're 23, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. you know, um, most people, I think, or many people, uh, their, their path is more akin to mine. You win a smaller job. You take a bunch more auditions. You want a slightly larger job. You take a bunch of more auditions. So um, I would say not getting discouraged is important. And then finally, um, the, the the way to prepare, I think, is to yeah, obviously all that's all the stuff everybody talks about at first. You know, play in time, play in tune, play all the right notes. Yeah, you you have to do that, or you won't show up in the next rounds. But if that's all you do, you will never get any job. Mm -hmm. Because you have to be in this situation. You have to be with people. I like to say that, you know, music is the, it's a team sport. And if you don't play well with others, and if you don't have significant musicianship skills, you're not going to get anywhere. And so I would say you want to, first of all, be a great musician, do all the listening and playing it takes to become a great musician, and then be able to demonstrate that in the heat of the moment that you can keep your mind on the music making and to that end, I mean, when, when Mark left, you know, my, one of my big stated goals, I want to get a young Mark Lawrence kind of player, a great <laughs> musician, great, hot, young player. And so that we got 
a really talented musician, our solo was a very simple, um, a very simple solo, uh, you know, uh, note wise, something mm -hmm. that almost any college player could play all the notes. And I, we all wanted to hear people just come in with this simple melody and show their musicianship, you know, mm -hmm. say something to us. And that proved very effective. The people we had in the, in the later rounds were, were wonderful musicians and, you know, great players. Um, so I would, I would say making, making sure that you don't just only focus on orchestral excerpts that even as you practice for these auditions, that that's a significant part of your practice, but that you're still also feeding your musical soul and playing solos and playing etudes and, you know, listening, um, still doing all those things. So mm -hmm. you don't just kind of flatline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's great advice. Yeah. Really good. Stand yeah. One thing Please. to that, if I could, and it's maybe not quite relating to auditions, but I think on the periphery it is. Um, uh, my advice to young players uh, would be um, don't limit yourself mm -hmm. musically. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times uh, players will get into a, a rut of I want to do this and this is all I want to do. But the way our business is now, uh, you make yourselves, not only make yourself more valuable as, as, as a musician and a performer, but I think uh, it expands your, your brain as a musician to play jazz, learn how to improvise, um, play, in, play chamber music, mm -hmm. you know, uh, learn how to arrange, uh, just do other things that, that widen your scope a little bit. And I think if you do that, uh, it doesn't put quite maybe as much pressure on you where you, where you pre prepare for these auditions and you go, oh, I've got to win this audition, mm -hmm. I've just got to win this audition. That, that usually isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. So that's, if I was starting out now, that's what I would do. Mm, that's, that's well said. And uh, we had uh, the great jazz educator, Justin Chochon, as a, as a guest uh, on Bound to Pick. And he broke it down and for the jazz and commercial players in a really great way. He said, it's performance, writing, and teaching. And everybody, whether you're Chick Corea or Wayne Shorter or just getting out of college, you have to have all three of those elements. Yeah. So um, anyway, and that's basically what I think what you're saying too, Mark, is like just having those other... Oh, those other tools and as part of your arsenal and what you're presenting. It's like it's like being able to speak uh, when you when you're young, learning how to speak two or three languages. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, it's just very valuable. And those uh, those things also feed your musical soul. I mean, um, teaching. You know, getting inspired by other young players and and you know and trying to pass something along. And how what do I think? How do I you know sort of codify my approach or what I think about this particular piece of music? It um, it really crystallizes things to teach and to write. I'm sure I don't write mm -hmm. personally, but um, you know they get you closer to different aspects of music, and that's valuable. That's a great point because it's it's not all purely mercenary to to develop skills. It's feeding your overall your musician yeah. as a whole. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a that's a great point. Speaking of teaching, you guys, you're at San Francisco Conservatory. Uh, that's right as well. And then I wanted to ask you both. Um, Talk to me about your approach to with with students nowadays, where the job market is so intense, so competitive, um, and it's very competitive to get in these schools. I mean, yeah. I'm sure. What are you guys looking for in young players? I guess it's the same thing, only at an earlier spot of what you were talking about. But maybe just share a little bit about, you know, 
thoughts about teaching teachers that you've liked over the years. Um, Paul, I'll start with you on this one and, and what you're doing at the, at the conservatory. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. We're, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm, I'm looking for, you know, somebody who shows me some innate musicality, mm -hmm. some spark of music making um, that I feel like I can, you know, hopefully fan into, uh, you know, open flame of uh, musicianship. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody who can, you know, obviously they have to be good trombone players. We're lucky to have a, you know, a conservatory and be fairly exclusive uh, and all that. So we get really fine trombone players, but we're looking for that spark of musicianship. Someone who's obviously listened to a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz, has a wide ranging musical taste, because I think that is important right now. Um, and while they're there, we require them to play chamber music because we all feel strongly, the faculty, I know this, that that's a huge part of musical development is playing in small groups and getting something to the very, very highest level in a small group. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just key. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for. As far as my approach, I really try to, I, I take from, you know, Eastman, that old Emory Remington quote, you know, I teach students not, uh, or I might be, I'm going to screw it up now. I teach, <laughs> I teach people, not the trombone or something. Right, right. Like anyway, yeah, exactly. So yeah. my, my approach actually varies uh, a good bit from student to student, depending on what I think that student needs, that student's personality, where they are. Um, so, but I'm trying for the same goals, great trombone player, great musician, um, and someone who's prepared to work in the world, um, in music, hopefully in some respect or another, um, not all of them will perform for a living. Many of them perform for a living, mm -hmm. uh, but that they're prepared to do many things in music and bring a passion to that. So, mm -hmm. Very cool. Mark, you uh, spent a lot of time at the conservatory, but now your, your main focus is down at Colburn, which is a very exclusive school in Los Angeles, uh, much like the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia, where you're, you're getting the cream of the cream uh, in terms of the young players. Also at Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara. Um, what's that like for you being at uh, Colburn, especially as a, as a graduate of Curtis, you came from that it's a very uh, exclusive and, uh, and, and very specific type of education? Um, it is somewhat rarefied air mm -hmm. in that uh, the students that I get to deal with uh, are very, very accomplished. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful. Uh, as performers. Um, I think uh, two of the things I, I look for right off the bat uh, are uh, a really good sound and good intonation because to me that shows that somebody has a good ear mm -hmm. if, they, if they can play with a beautiful sound and good intonation. Uh, but you need somebody, you, need, you, you look for people that are self-starters, uh, people who are, you know, you can tell are very focused and persistent about wanting to be great. And, and I, th I think that's, that's kind of a, a necessary uh, component today. If you're going to be a, a performer, you have to really, you have to have that burning desire to be successful and to be great. Even if you're good, mm -hmm. you need mm -hmm. that. And so um, I, that's one of the things I look for. Obviously, someone that has a personality when they play. So, you know, you, you can hear that behind the horn, uh, that's obviously so important because when you hear at an audition, when you hear 50, 75, 100 people, um, the people that stand out, I think Paul would agree with the people that stand are the people 
that have a personality when they play, that have, there's something behind the horn. They're not just playing by rote. What's mm -hmm. this is what I need to do here. So all those, all those things are important, but um, uh, any, any, any profession where the supply is much greater than the demand, which ours is, you have to have tremendous persistence and, and desire to be really, really great and successful. Mm -hmm. I think that's really necessary. That's yeah. It's a probably a good time for me to say that I've taken over 40 auditions. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were going to get that out of you. So oh my God. <laughs> just persistence. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's true. You have to have a thick skin and, and be persistent and have a passion. You really want to play for a living. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, there, there was a, I'm sorry. No, no, of course. Um, uh, if you, if you tell somebody, you know, I, I think maybe you should consider doing something else. Not that I necessarily would, I might, but if you say that to somebody and regardless of that, they say, I don't care what you say, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to, you know, I'm willing to do what it takes. Uh, sometimes those people end up being more successful than maybe people who have maybe have slightly more talent, but don't have that same, that right. same single mindedness. Yeah. Well, we, we were fortunate to sit down with Ted Hall before this interview and now. And, uh, Are you and, kidding? And That's where I get some of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's sitting right here with us right now, but he's such an incredible uh, business person, entrepreneur, philanthropist, most one of the most generous people. But that was one of the things that he said in, in, in the range of incredible success that he's had, the persistence you know, and staying with what, what his intentions were and where, where he was going. This is just a little bit of a curveball. Give me two or three players that aren't trombone players that have inspired your musicianship on some level, sound-wise. And don't think too much about it. Just like, like you know, when you're a kid and you heard, I remember like for me when I heard Freddie Hubbard play, right. it was just like this, and I still, I practice Freddie Hubbard solos as much as I possibly can. It's just the most inspiring thing to me. Then obviously it's different for everybody. But Paul, a couple names, throw a couple names out at me. <laughs> non trombone players. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, well, um, when I first got to uh, San Francisco, certainly our, our principal oboe at the time, Bill Bennett, uh, was, a, was a huge inspiration to me. Um, just a fantastic musician and um, beautiful player. Um, and then uh, probably. Dave Crable, also former principal horn, mm -hmm. uh, consummate professional, and uh, you know just what Mark was saying about you know uh, personality. Mm -hmm. uh, just his personality comes through on all this. Especially, I, I think of him when I think of every time we play uh, Dvorak Gate. You know, I think of Dave and uh, just tons of personality. And um, probably for sound, non-trombone, uh, Glenn Fishtall, just the ease of production and that beautiful balance between brilliance and clarity and still being sweet mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so um there are other all breasts there's there's more you know uh singers any anyway that, that's a few right off the top yeah of that's head. cool yeah. I, I just think it's so helpful for us as trombone players to look a little bit outside of it and what we can draw from other instrumentalists and obviously maurice andre yeah there's a lot of maurice andre coming up of course yeah, yeah. mark how about yourself well, I'll go back a little further. Um, probably one of the earliest uh, uh, 
musicians that I can remember working with that really uh, inspired me with. Uh, when I was in high school, during the summer, I played in a group called the Detroit Concert Band. Mm. And this was actually a professional band led by Leonard B. Smith, who was a f famous cornet soloist. He played with the Goldman Band back in the day. And every night he would play a solo with a band, whether it was Carnival of Venice or something like that. And he was not an orchestral player, he was a soloist, he was a mm -hmm. cornet soloist. And, uh, but he played so effortlessly and with so much fluidity uh, uh, in, in his playing, it, uh, that really inspired me. So yeah. He was, he was one of the first. And then I remember early on listening to a lot of recordings of Dennis Brain, the horn player. Of course, yeah. Uh, and, um, you know. That was very, very uh, inspiring as well. Yeah, very cool. And then the reason I ask the question is just to get all of us, especially as trombone players, to just, like I said, get outside the box a little bit and take sure. advantage of what, what's in front of us, especially for you guys playing in one of the world-class orchestras. Amazing. I think it is helpful to listen, especially as uh, brass players, listen to singers and other wind players, you know, oboists especially. Or I don't know why for me, but um, other people who have to deal with wind and other mm -hmm. people who have to you know, breathe. And, you know, it's always lovely to listen to string players, but it's a different thing if you're trying to really incorporate a breath-driven phrasing. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so um, that's... Yeah. Well, I think, I think you're right. It is important for trombonists to listen to... Uh, like, my mother was a uh, very fine violinist, and of course I heard her all the time growing up. And I started on piano when I was five, so that was very helpful to me. But uh, trombonists have to deal with this awkward thing called a slide. Right. And so it's really important to listen to instruments that don't have to deal with that. Yeah. So you, you can understand uh, how to transcend that. Yeah. The greatest example I can think of with that is, is Frank Rossellino, another Detroit trombone player. Uh, Frank, uh, his, his sister was a violin player growing up. And no, nobody has more technique than Frank Rossellino did. And he learned, he would just mimic his sister. He had no idea that you can't play that on the trombone. <laughs> and he would, you know, he yeah. just figured out, oh, I can do, I'll just play what she's playing. And that's how he developed wow. his extraordinary technique. So it is that kind of thinking outside. I know we got to get to rehearsal and uh, looking forward to playing with you guys. This is going to yeah. be a really fun concert and, and with Dan Gordon and Ted Holland. As we close out, just I know you've given us all such great advice already. I won't ask my usual advice question at the end, but what's on the, what's on the horizon for you guys coming up in the next uh, next stages of your careers? What are your goals? What are you looking forward to doing? And uh, I know you're, of course, going to be in the orchestra for many more years, Paul, but yeah. uh, what else is on the horizon for you? Well, I send my uh, youngest child off to college this year. Oh, so I'm actually, thanks. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a big, big deal. Um, so I'm entering a little bit of a new phase where I hopefully will have even a little more time to dedicate to playing and teaching. And um, I conduct the brass ensemble at uh, the conservatory, and that's um, I have a couple projects in mind, but just ongoing, that's really exciting for me. We have a huge year in the symphony coming up, uh, you know, just a lot of huge rep that I'm excited about. And um, yeah, more years in the symphony. We have uh, actually uh, Planets and Einheld and Leben. I play euphonium on those. Nice. So yeah, that's, you know, it's always fun to do some different stuff. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm just um, keep on doing what I'm doing, I guess. Nice, yeah. nice. And Mark, how about yourself? I know you're globetrotting like crazy playing with orchestras around the world. What, no, what no. <laughs> uh, if only. No, no. Uh, Big thanks to Mark and Paul for being our guests this month on Bone to Pick. And uh, as you can probably tell, our uh, camera decided to stop working there right at the very end of the interview, so we apologize for that. 
Uh, we're actually quite fortunate to have gotten this interview. Uh, Mark and Paul and myself uh, were out in the Napa Valley at uh, Ted Hall's gorgeous Longmeadow Ranch Winery performing a concert in August. And our friend and colleague and brewmeister extraordinaire, Dan Gordon, uh, hustled out and got us a camera at the very last minute and then uh, stepped in and uh, was our videographer for the uh, interview. So really happy that uh, we were able to pull it off. And I uh, uh, hope you guys got a lot out of hearing Mark and, uh, and Paul's incredible insight and knowledge that uh, they gave us through this interview. So continue to like us on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and share these interviews with your friends and colleagues. We always appreciate that. And we will see you next time on Bone to Pick. Uh -huh.